Dead men tell no tales. Fifteen men loaded in man's chest. Yo ho ho and a bottle of rum. Drink and the devil had done for the rest. Yo ho ho and a bottle of rum. What will we do with the drunken sailor? What will we do with the drunken sailor? What will we do with the drunken sailor? The ship with black sails that's crewed by the damned. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. Welcome to the Black Pearl Show, a Pirates of the Caribbean Minute podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and plunder Pirates of the Caribbean films one blimey minute at a time. I'm Scott Artis from scottartis.com. And I'm Heather Artis from blackpearlminute.com. Thanks for joining us for Minute 23 of Cannibal Minute podcast. <laughs> no, okay, Dead Man's Chest. Hannibal or Cannibal? It's weird that you say that because in the previous minute... Hannibal Lecter's great-great-great-grandfather Shrimper set the tasty ball in motion with a delicious bit of long pork. Nothing says entrepreneurship like dabbling in the flesh trade. Literally. Trading spices for, um, hmm, pirate meat. And oh, do I wish that was a euphemism. Meanwhile, Will jumps on board our cannibal friend ship, takes a little Caribbean voyage, and arrives on the island of Pelagosto. A little-known island that just so happens to have a ship with black sails formerly crewed by the damned and captained by a man so evil. Well, it's beached, actually. We'll just stay with that. Minute 23 begins with Will Turner coming ashore and walking up to the tide-staked and run-aground Black Pearl. Will looks up to the listing ship and yells, Jack! The minute ends with Will walking through the jungle and coming across a leather flask hanging from the branch of a tree. Will grabs the flask for a closer look and says, Gibbs. Really? Is where I have to start with this. More freaking cannibalism references are in this minute. Now, don't get me wrong. Like everyone else, I really do enjoy a good meal. Ah! Oh. We can have... I didn't hey. say what kind it was. I, we can have a serious debate on the entree, which is for another show. Join us every Tuesday for our cooking podcast, At the Table with the Donner Party. Every Tuesday. God. But for now, I'm going to try my best and keep the Longport discussion to a minimum. I don't want everyone getting hungry and running off to dinner instead of listening to the show. You know how that is. You start talking about long pork and people just scatter. Yeah. I don't know if it's they're hungry or they're frightened. A little both. (laughs) This podcast brought to you by the Donner Party. (laughs) Poor Cotton's Parrot. Speaking of cannibalism. Don't eat me. (laughs) That's a good impression. Uh Don't eat me. Reunited with Will for the first time in a year, and the first words out of his beak, don't eat me. Yeah, Will's a little confused with this this phrase here. Yeah. He's all, I'm not going to eat you, and tilts his head sideways like, what are you talking so about? So that goes to show us, actually, that Will didn't, didn't know, know what long yep. pork was when he was talking to Shrimper, because he would have had some clues to what was going on yeah. here. That proves it. Yep. It just went over his head. He probably heard long pork and just thought, pork, okay. Yeah. They have wild pig there. Right. See? I told you. There we go. We settled it. Boom. Done. Took us uh, 24 hours to do that. <laughs> but this happens just before Will is about to enter the jungle that we get Cotton's parrot. And given Shrimper's comment the last time, this is our second cannibalism reference in under two minutes, really. It is. It's got to be a record. 
don't eat me. Even though it's a bird. Yeah, I heard macaw tastes like? Chicken. <laughs> Cornish game hen. Chicken. <laughs> I mean, what, what kind of heathen are you? Chicken. I mean, you've obviously never had finely cooked macaw. God. You Poor just macaw, think dude. think it uh, tastes like chicken. I can't like eat macaw. Cornish hen is what it tastes like. It's just no. falls right off the Goodness. bone. Actually, do you want me to blow your mind? Sure. Not a euphemism. Oh, I got to do that after. Sorry. Cotton's parrot was not speaking for himself, but for Cotton. It's been established that the parrot speaks for Cotton. Therefore, we can only imagine that the bird was voicing Cotton's plea. Even when Cotton's not there, Yes. Yes. The bird speaks for Cotton. Right. That's what it is. Doesn't the bird talk on its own, too? No. The bird speaks for Cotton. That's what happens. Because that would be the cannibal reference. If it was the bird speaking, it would just be regular natives hunting for food kind of deal or whatever is going on here. Right. The cannibal reference comes from Cotton's parrot voicing Cotton himself. Right. Because I look at Cotton's parrot as one of the pirates. You know what I mean, though. When When Cotton's parrot said, don't eat me, I thought of more human way. Don't eat me and Adam's family. Don't eat me. Or was that something else? No, that was a different song. Just sounds familiar. Yeah, uh, let's leave that alone. Eat us. Hey, it's Thanksgiving Day. Eat us. We make a nice buffet. We launch the race with Farmer Ed. Eat us because we're good and dead. Was it in uh, the Little Shop of Horrors? I don't know. Okay, I don't either. Let's pretend that never happened, folks. Okay. Anyways, we're on Cotton's Parrot. Cotton's Parrot speaks for Cotton. It's not part of the pirate crew. It's almost like a translator. When when you're interacting with somebody and you're translating, you're supposed to interact with the person directly. Right. You're not supposed to really look at the other person. It's you know, you're supposed to have that eye contact with that person and the translator does the translating. Yeah. Cotton's Parrot is the translator here. Yeah. Voicing Cotton's fears and words. That's cotton speaking. That's cotton That's speaking to Will. That's not good for cotton. No, it's not good for cotton. Did, oh, Because sorry. they wouldn't be cannibals if they were going after the macaw. The macaw wouldn't be saying that. I think it is voicing cotton's fears here. So it backs up the cannibalist yeah. comments, things going on there. Can I back up two seconds? When Will approaches the Black Pearl and he's hollering for people. Holla! Did, you, did oh. you notice who he hollered for? Jack. Jack. Jack who Sparrow. Else? Who else? Cotton. Marty and Cotton. I just thought it was interesting the names he chose. I think he those... didn't say Gibbs until he seen Gibbs flask. That's interesting. He said Jack Sparrow, Captain Jack Sparrow, Marty, and then Cotton. That is strange. Uh huh. How come he I thought that was Gibbs odd? Out? Maybe because maybe because in the storyline he was going to he was going to say Gibbs' name in a minute. In a that, second, well, I'm sure you know, from a writing thing, but from a character standpoint, wouldn't you yell for like the first mate? Then yeah. basically, well, he knew Gibbs. He knew Gibbs yeah. more than anybody else. So why? Maybe he doesn't he... know that Gibbs is there, though. If that would be the question, because the uh, Motley crew, or yeah, I don't know. Because he 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 got to know Gibbs. Him and Gibbs had conversations and stuff, so he got to know Gibbs. So you would think Gibbs would be the second person he called out yeah. after Jack. Yeah, strange. Yeah, he called Marty yeah, and then, then Cotton. That's true. I mean, he does say Gibbs later, and he doesn't really say Cotton. So that's the thing. What do you mean? Titty toucher. Uh, what do you mean when he sees Cotton's parrot, he doesn't say Cotton? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So maybe that's why, just from a writing standpoint. Yeah. 
It must be. It's got to be. Because it would be weird you would say Gibbs as a second but name. But I think that that's good for Cotton and Marty for him oh, to yeah. call his name out. Because then that kind of establishes them as more known characters right. there. And that's what I thought. But I just thought it was strange that Gibbs was not the second name called. Otherwise, it's but, like, you know, you're just falling back from Jack to Gibbs all the time. As opposed to addressing and kind of acknowledging some of the other pirates right. that are in the Motley crew. Being those two are really... Like the main holdovers from the Curse of the Black Pearl yeah. that kind of come over. Either way, though, it's not a good sign of things to come. Whether Cotton's parrot or Cotton, whoever he's voicing, says, don't eat me. No. There's lots of taboo warnings popping up for Will here. Never good when you say, don't eat me. Yeah. He's probably rethinking his last encounter with Elizabeth. Man, if I only sent her father on an errand, I could have ah! uh, kissed her. <laughs> uh, let's roll with that. Let's roll with that. Kissed her. Yeah. More signs of the Motley crew come up, though, and I love the fact that Will immediately recognizes the flask as being a clue that Gibbs has passed through this area. Yeah. Like Jack Sparrow, Gibbs now has a Bacardi reputation that precedes him. <laughs> it's always going to be known for something, I guess. You know, Gibbs and rum go together naturally, so why not? Don't sleep with pigs if you don't drink the rum. Yeah. Hmm. I wonder why Gibbs is here. Sleeps with pigs, long pork on the <laughs> island. <laughs> there might be a connection there we need to explore. The bad omen about this is that Gibbs wouldn't go anywhere without his flask. Another tally on the trouble scale here going yeah. on. And the, because I couldn't leave it alone, I thought, heck, we see a flask and there's not a whole hell of a lot going on in this minute. Better take a look at the hip flask. It began to appear in the form it is recognized today in the 18th century. Initially used by members of the upper class, high society. You know, the governor swan types. Oh, really? And not the pirate type? Exactly. Not the pirate types. They just go for the bottle. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. However, less compact versions had been in production for several centuries. Notably, in the Middle Ages, there are several accounts of gutted fruit being used to store liquor. You know, you can always hand it to the human race to come up with ways to store liquor. Exactly. You know, there's a problem that needs to be solved. That one's on the list first. <laughs> then, then they'll Where's come, the liquor? <laughs> then they'll come with other things, you know, uh, dental hygiene. First priority? Liquor. Got to make sure we store that liquor. That's because they were in such pain from their teeth, they had to actually just get hammered all the yeah. time. And the backbreaking work. During the 18th century, women boarding docked British warships, and again, this is the 18th century, so 1700s, right in this time period, boarding docked British warships would smuggle gin into the ship via makeshift flask created from pig's bladders and hidden inside their petticoats. Oh, really? And we all Isn't thought... Isn't that bad luck? What? To hide Have the a... women on there? I think they were going... Well, that's a good question. Women boarding docked British ships. wonder what they could be doing there. <laughs> hmm. Women boarding a warship that's docked. A little, uh... Maybe just singing and dancing, as we used to see. Kind yeah, of, uh, probably, you know, can-can dancing, maybe? Yeah, they would just dance, and then they would go home at night. But my takeaway from this is that we were told... Because there's a lot of things going on with that historical thing there. That women were these innocent, upstanding creatures in the past. Well, 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 you gals scheme just as much as this guy's. What? Yeah. Okay, you're so. you're smuggling, you smugglers. <laughs> Women are smugglers. They're smuggling gin on board warships. And may I ask, what are they doing there? Visiting their husbands? <laughs> Let's not be foolish here. Maybe they are. I think they're bringing in some ladies of the Tortuga type there. Possibly. Mentioned it the other day, but I thought I would circle back to the beginning of the minute. In yesterday's minute, when we see the pearl on the beach. 
Although Jack beached the ship to escape Davy Jones, as we were talking about, it yeah. is reminiscent of careening. Yes, it's a bit of history to enliven everyone's day. A bit of non-cannibalism history I thought I'd bring to lighten oh, the mood. Oh, thank goodness. Careening was to take a ship into shallower waters or out of the water altogether and remove barnacles and pests such as mollusks, shells, plant growth, and all kinds of other sea stuff from the bottom of it. Unfortunately, pirates needed to careen their ships to restore it to proper speed. And this was a process that was dangerous to pirates as it leaves the ship inoperable while the work is being done. Mm. Plus, you know, if you got a bunch of pirates just hanging out. There's trouble. Oh, there's trouble. According to my experience hauling tall ships out of the water, personal experience, the process could be assisted by securing a top rope on the ship to a fixed object such as a tree or rock or something like that to pull the mast over as far as possible. Maintenance might include repairing damage caused by dry rot or cannon shot, tarring the exterior to reduce leakage or removing biofouling organisms such as barnacles and shipworms and things like that to increase the ship's speed. One exotic method was the ancient practice of beaching a ship on a shingle beach. And a shingle beach is a beach that's comprised of pebbles or small cobblestones. You see oh, these things? yeah. And so they would use that and kind of beach it in a, in a good direction so that the goal was that the waves and the crashing waves would send these shingles or these small rocks and pebbles against the hole to help scour it and clean it off without huh. having to do the actual work themselves. Well, that's interesting. A beach found to be favored for careening was called a careenage. And a related practice was a parliamentary heel, for all you ship lovers out there, in which the vessel was heeled over in deep water by shifting weight, such as like the ballast or the guns, to one side. In this way, the upper sides could be cleaned or repaired with minimal delay. Unfortunately, this was also dangerous. In one instance, the HMS Royal George was lost, sank, while undergoing a parliamentary heel in 1782. Seriously? Yeah. Wow. It's dangerous to tip a boat over on its side like well, that. yeah. Pirates would often careen their ships because they had no access to dry docks. You know, you can't just roll up as a pirate and say, uh, do you mind if we use your dry dock? Yeah. So they had to find secluded bays and things like that that would suffice for necessary repairs or hole cleaning. And such little safe havens could be found throughout the islands in the Caribbean and nearly around the world. One group of islands, Tres Marias, became popular after Francis Drake sailed there in 1579. And after he found that, it quickly became a popular place for piracy. But in this whole golden age of piracy was this, you know, during this whole age of wooden ships, meant that ships were freaking made of wood. And you had wood ships in a tropical climate. And they just needed a whole lot of taking care of compared to metal ships. Yeah. In a book, Captain Johnson's The General History of the Robberies and Murders of the Most Notorious Pirates... Wow, that sounds like an interesting book. You bet. Published in 1724, and it's still available today. So pick it up if you're interested out there. Some light reading. Yeah, for a little light reading. You will notice that they actually do this. They careen every six weeks to three months. The pirates would stop and clean their vessels. Really? Yeah, a lot more than you thought. It was quite the process, too, as the vessel had to be lightened. So this was done by putting everything in it, piece by piece, into a longboat, rowing it to shore... There it was unloaded so the boat could go back for more stuff. Soon the island's shore would be stacked with all these crates and freaking barrels. Wow. This was where it was handy to have water nearby because a pirate ship had to carry a lot of water for the pirates to drink. Yeah. And it could weigh... Or rum. Or rum. Could weigh up to several tons. So 
if there was nearby water that they could just replenish that after the process was done, they could just empty all the water into the ocean, didn't oh, have to yeah, take it to shore. But if there's no fresh water, then they had to drag several tons of water off. Jeez. Which is pretty crazy. Yeah. Then long, heavy ropes were run from the ship to the land, and the pirates went to work. Using nothing more than the strength of human bodies, they dragged their entire freaking ship onto dry land. Seriously? Yes. God, you'd have to have just a massive number of pirates, right? <laughs> That's crazy. Hopefully you weren't in a battle and a lot of them got killed because yeah. you can do it. Just, like I said, nothing but just the guys pulling on wow. these ropes. It's like building pyramids, for God's That's sake. That's crazy. And they did use some tricks, though, to help with this land hauling kind of stuff here is that they would find a beach with a long, gentle slope. To, he's not something that was just really steep. Right. And they could try and drag it in better. And then another one was that they could, like, do this at high tide and try and bring it in as far as possible. And then with the ocean kind of helping in the waves. Right. And then as the water retreated at low tide, then more of the boat would be out of water that they could do this. Right. But can you imagine dragging that freaking thing out on shore? Like, even just with the Black well, Pearl, that's insanity. Think about getting it out. I know. How would you get it out? At least, you know... Maybe you have waves helping you bring it in. You're actually going against everything, bringing it in. And you're standing in the water trying to drag it back in the water. Yeah, it's insanity, right? I mean, at least you have dry land you're trying to drag it's it up on and rocks and whatever to help. But you're trying to drag it back out in the water while standing in the water? Yeah, it's brutal. Well, they have yeah. a, they show this actually in Black Sails. If you haven't seen Black Sails, you can check it out. But they in one of the episodes, they show them taking the boat, their boat, Heather still got me saying boat. The <laughs> ship out of the water to do this. And they actually would send people to go scope out the beach. Like, is this going to be the proper beach to do this? Are we going to be able to make this happen? Yeah. And that was the whole process. But then after it was ashore, pirates would then remove barnacles, seaweed, and other marine growths. And it was very important to keep the bottom of the boat as smooth as possible. An unclean hull could be dragging tons of shells. Hundreds of yards of trailing weed and shipworms, which could decimate a wooden hull as they dig burrows oh, into the wood. Yeah. The shipworms are actually a clam and they actually dig into the wood. And well, after a while, kind of it could create. But this actually drills holes wow. into the wood and it can make the hull, the wooden hull, very brittle. Right. So, which is bad news if you have waves or just anything hitting it. You don't need that. You want it as strong as possible. You don't want that stuff to be just falling apart there or leaking and stuff. Right. But anyways, dragging all this stuff could actually cut a ship's speed in half. And as we know, pirates depended on speed. So it was like catching other ships and plundering them. And then also to escape, say, British naval ships. Yeah. They needed to be able to outrun them. Because that's what we saw a lot of. They wanted fast ships, in and out, quick. Something that they could just escape without having to worry about it. And to be dragging a bunch of shells is pretty insane. And that stuff will, can build up fairly quickly if you don't do that. Oh, I would imagine. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it was a risky move, and I found at least one account of this going awry. Captain, he was a pirate, Lothar, was captured while careening on Blanquila off Venezuela. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. Happened upon him. Ah, there you are, sir. And where are you going to go? That's their whole method. Right. You know, you can stand and fight, but yep. Yeah. Roll right up on him. Since history is never a way to end an episode, I actually have to jump back to the location of the island that you were talking about. For the movie, and I'm not talking about the real thing just yet, like you were talking about, Dominica. Yeah. For the movie, the island's name appears to be Spanish, but it should be noted that it is Portuguese. 
And the name of the island, in case you already forgot from early in the episode, it's Pelagosto. Pelagosto. Which Pele means skin and Gosto means taste. Mm. Yummy. Yeah. I had to throw in our last cannibal reference because we got to always end on something fun. <laughs> yeah. It is another cannibalist reference. It's like, uh, well, they're another name. More blatant was Cannibal Island. Yeah. But Pelagosto. Ah, just rolls right off the tongue. That it Tasty does. tongue. Yuck. Well, Pelagostos also was given Isla de Pelagostos. Was not mentioned in the movie itself, but was given from the Zizzle figure in some versions of At World's End video game. And the Zizzle was the action figures for Pirates of the Caribbean. And if you remember, in an early episode, we talked about how the most valuable Zizzle action figure was our stodgy little captain or stodgy little Lord Cutler Beckett. Yes. Because they didn't think anybody was really going to want him. There's limited supply. And now he's highly valuable. So Zizzle. It's amazing how some of this stuff comes about that they go, oh, you know, we really need to have a name or put a name here. The script didn't have it and the somebody just comes up with it and boom, there you go. In several versions of the official Pirates of the Caribbean website, the island was named either Pelagosto Island or just Pelagosto. And the name Cannibal Island was used by the film crew of Dead Man's Chest as well as being used in the Masters of the Seas game. There's a Pirates of the Caribbean app game. Oh, okay. And that's what it was used in. So there you go. It's a tasty way to end uh, minute 23. Yummy, yummy. Yeah. Little cannibalism Some long action. Meat and... Long meat now? Arr! Walk the plank. I think long meat's a whole <laughs> other thing. <laughs> I mean, long where, pork. Where is your mind? Long pork. Long pork. <laughs> it's too late. Everybody out there just heard you say long meat. <laughs> no. <laughs> and we're not cutting that out. Long Please. meat's in the podcast please cut it out no we're not cutting it out (laughs) you know heather was right there in the hot and heavy elizabeth jail cell scene really that's obviously obviously we'll be back tomorrow with minute 24 of dead man's chest until then scallywags let's keep the horns swoggling and the long meat to a minimum please keep the long meat to the minimum (laughs) (laughs) that's not what she said You've been listening to The Black Pearl Show, and we appreciate it, scallywags. Heather, I know you're still on pirate time and kicking back with the booze, but you may have noticed... Actually, who am I kidding? The only thing you've noticed lately is the inside of the Faithful Bride Tavern. Anyways, our procrastination has paid off yet again, and Season 2 is here, and we are willfully unprepared. Maybe we can distract people with a Jack Sparrow wave of the hands and send people across that thing called the internet. Check us out on Facebook.com slash Pirates of the Caribbean Minute, Twitter.com slash Black Pearl Men, Instagram.com slash Black Pearl Show, SoundCloud.com slash Pirates of the Caribbean, that's for best of clips, and by all means give us a plug and review on iTunes. We'd appreciate it, mateys. Oh, and let's not forget the Facebook Cursed Crew listeners group for post-episode discussions. That's actually a lot to remember, especially if you're in a foggy haze like Heather. Just go to blackpearlshow.com and everything is there at the click of a button. Perhaps I should have just said that from the beginning. This is a Shoutreach Media Production. 
Pirates don't need no stinking disclaimers, but just for fun. I think all you dirty, filthy bilge know that Disney and Bruckheimer Films have no affiliation with us at all, and we have none with those blooming cockroaches. We talk about Pirates of the Caribbean, which is their property, and all that other fun stuff. But I think it's obvious what's ours and what's theirs. There's no need to blur the lines or stir up a bloody rum-filled sweat. As for the music... That's with permission or licensed under Creative Commons. So let's give a shout out to Ross Bugden, Six Nail Coffin, and Tommy Wynn. The rest? Well, that's just me. Oh, and maybe Heather.